Hey everybody, welcome to another podcast with Cribs. Before we get into our next guest, I just want to remind you that if you are looking for an investment property, looking for the next high growth market and want to know how to secure that good quality asset, you need to talk to me and the team. We are looking across the whole Australian Eastern Seaboard, only work with the best developers in the industry, can help you secure that asset, do the cash flows, have a good understanding about where you're going to find that growth. So ultimately, secure that investment and keep on building that fantastic portfolio to achieve the long-term dreams. Reach out to the team, have a chat to me, and let's get into this next show. Hey guys, Dominic Nesha here from Cribs. Today, we're very lucky to have Alex from Aqualands. We've been watching your work very, very closely. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And it's an absolute pleasure. You're, you're the, de- the development company Aqualand hasn't been around too long, no. but you've certainly created waves and even the other developers in the industry are starting to talk about you. They love the work that you and Larissa, you can't see Larissa, but she's over there, mm-hmm. um, are doing. And it's just amazing to see this brand evolve and, and culturally the things that you're doing. It's just, it's really good. It's really, really good work. And that's why I wanted to get you on here because... Um, I wanted to sort of dig a little deeper, find out the people behind the brand and yeah. So tell me more, what's kind of the heritage of Aqualand? Where did it all come from? Um, so I guess, well, long story. How can I tell a long story short? Take as so, long as you want. All right. So Aqualand, I guess, um, look, it all starts from the top. You've got Jen Lin is our managing director. Uh, Jen had a vision uh, for the company. It was a very clear vision. He wanted to be a market leader uh, in the country in regards to uh, residential development, but not necessarily uh, enclosing himself in that category of residential development. It was a developer in general, whether it be commercial investments, whatever it might be. Um, that was a very bold vision for someone of, of that age. I think it would have been about 25 at that time. Um, and now he's 30 years old. We're five years old as a company, and we've we've actually got to that point now where we've got a, a quite a strong pipeline of uh, projects coming up. Um, and we've completed some very, very nice and award-winning buildings too. Um, so pile all that in together and we're, we're on track. So just just to, to touch on that a little bit, because not a lot of people know, you know, even in Jin's character where he's come from, like this isn't his and his family's first time developing. Correct. You know? So Jin's, um, so Jin's father is is, um, or is basically the, the owner and operator of, probably the largest private developer in China, if not one of the largest private developers in China, a company called Shenglong. Um, Shenglong's been operating since 1999. Mm. Yeah, that's right, 1999. Um, And at the moment, if you look at the projects and the scale of the projects that Shenglong does overseas, it's quite different to what we're doing here. Um, You know, we're talking about projects that are cities um, as opposed to what we're doing here. Like we consider... The Revy, for argument's sake, it's 40, 44 apartments on the water in Piermont in an old naval building um, over 100 years old. For us, that's a big project uh, for city terms. But then you look at what Shenlong are doing overseas, it's quite different. It's actually building cities from scratch. Um, now, Jin's uh, taken a lot of the passion that his father had and the vision that his father had and actually come here, studied here, and then wanted to build up the same type of business here, but obviously with a very Australian flavor and that's what we're doing yeah i thought that was important because important because not that many people know how well established and backed mm. 
Aqualand is. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it feels like it's a family-run business in some ways, yeah. but it's obviously very corporate, has you know big balance sheet supporting it. So for anyone coming into these buildings that you're, you're doing, it's not your first time. No, no, it's not yeah, our first it's, time. It's not our first time. It's... Um, it's not our first time. If you look at it as a business, if you if you, if you couple in Shenglong and Aqualand together, it's been around for a substantial period of time. We're talking developments that most would never see in terms of size and scale and quality and the output of what they're actually developing as well. Then you couple that in together with um, the team that's actually been onboarded, not just over the last five years, but specifically the last 12 months. So the people that we've actually onboarded over the last 12 months, we're talking industry leaders. Um, one example is John Carthy, for argument's sake, the ex-head of residential, ex-CEO of um, Mervac, is now our CEO. That changed the direction of the company or probably pushed it more into the direction that we wanted to go mm. at a quicker, uh, quicker pace. Um, and then you've got people like Tom Katalowski, for argument's sake, where Tom's come on board, um, was ex-Mervac, then pro-build, and he's heading up construction at the moment. We've built up a internal construction team that is now delivering Blue at Lavender Bay. Mm. So that is a big project. Uh, you'd normally go externally to a tier one builder. We've built an in-house tier one team to build that. And then we control the quality. We're building, obviously the buildings, we're building a legacy for the company, but we're building our brand. And that's why we're doing this. Otherwise we just sit there and go to externals. Um, and that's also why we do what we do in terms of the marketing side as well. So again, it's not just your project marketing we're not project marketing we're brand marketing at the same time we're trying to leverage off the last building for the next building so let me ask you about that strategy because some would determine or would, would deem it to be a risky strategy to go after that premium part of the market because yep. if, if you have a look historically even the past 24 months the part that gets hit the hardest is yep. premium property it swings a lot harder but yep. it's also coming back and i'm yep. seeing the markets is showing that what was some of the reasoning why behind Aqualanche choice to go for premium, to go after that yep. top end of the market. I think it evolved into that. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a documented strategy where they said we're going premium and that's, that's all we're going to sit at. Um, it kind of evolved into that. And the reason that happens is there's an obsession for having a quality uh, location. All right. So it's not, we'll never just look at any project and say, yeah, that's pretty much okay. And, uh, we can develop a really nice building on that location. It's never going to do as well as it could if it was in a premium location. So the locations came first. They happen to be in premium locations. And then you can't go and develop an average product in a premium location. So you've got to build a high-end product. Um, that's kind of evolved into um, where we are at the moment. But in saying that, we are seen as a, as a high-end developer. But if you look at our projects, it's not all about being a high-end developer. <clears throat> it's about being the best in whatever market that we're in. So we've done Taramara. Mm. I believe the build, it's an award-winning building, the Hasten at Taramara. We built the best project in Taramara. We did Linfield Village. We developed the best building in Linfield. So it doesn't matter where we are. We just want to be the best in each location that we're in, in any market that we're in. Now we're doing Lavender Bay. I believe we've got the best product in Lavender Bay or that lower North Shore. Um, we're doing the Revy. There's nothing you can compare it to at the moment. So it's consistent in every location that we're in. And if you look at our pipeline from here moving forward, and we're talking about you know North Sydney, Barangaroo, um, uh, Chatswood, we've got a lot coming up. But it's all about being patient. We've got the locations. It's developing the right product. Um, and then you'll get the sales from there. But you need to be patient at the same time. You can't go and flood the market in any location that you're in and just hope to get the pre-sale targets that you want every mm. single time. You need to be patient with that whole. 
methodology. Can I ask you a little bit more about that? Yep. So certainly going after the premium or doing premium developments comes with its own set of challenges. Um, and, and it's probably strategically why you brought on, you know, X head of Mervac and then you've got ProBuild X and you, you start and do all these internal um, resources to manage that process. But can you talk about some of the challenges involved with going after yep. and doing premium quality developments? I guess there's... I guess there's a perception that there's more challenges doing doing premium end buildings. There's challenges in every development, as you know, probably better than anyone. But um, I guess the challenges are that you've got you've got extremely high expectations okay. on the general market. You've also got high expectations from the market in any market that you're in, whether it's a mid tier market or a mid to high market. There's high expectations because you might have a buyer buying something for a million dollars. That million dollars is very uh, valuable to that person that's actually purchasing that probably as valuable as a $15 million apartment that somebody's buying in Lavender Bay or wherever it might be. So your expectations are high either way. Your attention to detail in the high-end market is a bit different. Okay. So there's more attention to detail. It's almost an obsessive, uh, for us anyway, it's an obsessive um, view on every little detail that goes into that building. Do we have to go as, do we, do we have to be as detailed as we are? Probably not but we are, and it goes back to what we were saying last time. It's about, we want to finish a development. Obviously we want the purchasers that have actually purchased to get their keys walk in and be blown away. But we want to utilize that building for people to view and say, this is the type of product that Aquiland builds. They're not here for a year or two years or five years. We're here for 10, 20, 30, 50, however long we can actually go for. Um, and if you don't do that, you won't be around for 50 years. You'll be around for 10 years. So this is, this is, um Brand building and legacy. Legacy building. You're building things. They're going to be there for 100, 200 years, and you want that to be your reference check on the next couple of buildings that come. 100%. If you walk through our office, um, you'll actually see through the main working area, there's, thanks to Larissa, plastered throughout the entire office, you'll see our um, purpose, which is challenge the present, redefine the future, build a proud history. I like that. All right. It's very simple. There's three lines. It's not hard to remember. But it's instilled in everything that we're doing. It's, it's literally an obsession. And that's what it needs to be if you're going to be developing stock like this. Correct. And then if you are developing or you are developing the best quality stock in, in the market and you, you're competing with the top dogs in town, um, how does the sales strategy change? How does the marketing, how does, how does that um, shift you know, at the bottom end of the market or more investment-led driven sales, it's very, very different Correct. to what you're doing. Do you need to be more patient yep. or what kind of things are you considering there? Actually, you nailed it. So it's all about patience. Um, and <clears throat> it might sound unusual, but it's about selling without trying to sell. Talk me through that, please. Okay, so this is something that I've been talking about for years and half the people that I tell think I'm crazy and the other half kind of get it. But you're trying to display a product and you're trying to display your vision at the end of the day, up until the time that it's built, it's an idea. Mm -hmm. All right. So you're trying to sell an idea. You can sell an idea when it comes to an investment because an investor is a little bit more, um, uh, will take a bit more of a chance. Numbers and cents ultimately what matter at the end of the day, they're not going to, they're not going to live in there. They're not going to sleep in the beds. They're not going to look out at the view. They want to know this is what I'm spending. That's the return and capital growth will be this, but they want a quality product at the end of the day. When you're selling to an owner-occupier, when you're selling to, um, you know, generally the higher-end market where they're going to be spending more, it's all about patience. So you can't go in there as a developer and then say, you know, 
pull it off a shelf and say, I'm going to use this sales strategy that I used for my previous development and try and achieve 70, uh, 70% pre-sales in six months. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen anymore. But if you strategize from the beginning and get realistic and say, okay, it's going to, it's going to take us two to three years to build this. Um, and then, you know, on the month to month basis, this is what I anticipate, but be realistic about that. Mm. Then it goes, but to take a step back and then you get to the marketing component. How do you market that to people? Do you want to keep on going out there and saying, this is the incentive that we're offering and then pushing it down people's throats? Or do you want to just continue to display your vision, but in the language that you're trying to build that vision in, if that makes sense? So help me understand that point a little better. So with your sales and marketing strategy, you understand that you've got three months or three years to do that. And you're translating that message over that time period rather than specifically going for an incentive to this weekend or trying to drive the hard sale down people's throats. It's it's telling a story over a lengthy period of time. So if you look, and and again, I'll take Lavender Bay as an example. You look at Lavender, Blue at Lavender Bay, there are people that are buying today that walked in on the day of launch. I see. All right, that was just over two years ago. But they've been coming in on a regular basis and then looking at the, looking at the product. Um, they're seeing different marketing to what they saw three months ago. So we're not just rehashing what we've done over time. There's a new message. There's an enhancement in the actual CGI. There might be an enhancement of um, uh, the animation that we've actually got in the virtual room on site there as well. They get to experience the actual apartment itself. So we've got every apartment line animated. So you could walk in there and say, I want apartment you know, three bedroom on the southern side facing the harbour, you can literally stand in the middle of the apartment and actually take in that experience. We're not expecting people to walk in, leave a deposit on that day. doesn't work that way. So you let them make that make that decision, but they'll eventually come back in if it's the right product for them. I see. So you understand that the people that are coming through the, your database that are coming in on the first day may come back around and gravitate to that product over time. Yeah, and you have to expect that. That was, that was um, expected from day dot. And let me talk about that immersion room because you did that with Binyan, I think. Um, They're a brilliant team over there. They are, no doubt. Um, How is that process of evolving your marketing, your, um, you know, the message and and what you're showing to your clients? How is that as an experience? But then also tell me a little bit about that immersion room. And did you notice it was... um, highly effective or not so effective or will there be some iterations in the future? Um, no, it was extremely effective. Uh, probably a bit more effective than we anticipated. We knew it would be good, but the challenge that you've you've always got when you're going digital, so the second you take something in a fairly traditional market, especially yeah. in that lower North Shore, and you go in the digital direction, you run the risk of, of losing your clients, mm. run the risk of frustrating people, and you run the risk of um, people just not not visualizing the project the way you want it to be visualized. Um, we work with Binion on it. We had a we had a problem that arose uh, because we went from having a two story display um, in sales suite within the building on level eight we had a full level sales suite, and then on level sixteen we had a half level apartment. So we've gone from that now because we've achieved um, we got to the point where we had to demolish the internals. That got wiped out and we had one retail space on the ground floor in the adjoining building on Alfred Street. Yep. It was 135 square metres and it was a dog leg. That's hard. And it was very narrow, so there's not much you can do. So we actually sat there and thought, how do we how do we keep on selling and how do we keep on marketing the project the way that we want to market it with this limited space? And then coincidentally, we were discussing something else with Binion at the time about another project that we were doing. 
and it just came about that um, we found this property um, or the retail shop and then the, the technology we were talking about for another project could be used to solve our problem. Okay. Uh, so we strategized and they came up with a concept and we probably pushed it a little bit further and probably did their head in a little bit as well, but they're you know great friends of ours and we love working with them. But uh, got it to a certain point where it went live the day that we opened up the new retail space. Uh, within three weeks of, of um, opening up that immersion room, we sold both penthouses. It worked. All right. So, you know, was it because of the immersion room? It did assist. There's no doubt it assisted. So would we have sold the penthouses? We would have sold them, but it may have been three months down the track, six months down the track, but it presented the opportunity for a penthouse purchaser to be able to walk in there and say, this is the one I want to see, and you're standing in the middle there, and you're actually immersed in the penthouse, north, south, east, and west, all the way through. So I'm taking a message from you, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like when you're selling premium product, that uh, material that you're creating is super important. Very important. Being able to visualize that experience becomes way more important yep. and, and the quality of the material that you're displaying needs to be absolutely um, perfect. 100%. But at the same time, again, it is location-based as well. So you've got to be in the right location. You've got to have the right product. Then to top it off, you've got to have the right way of actually um, sending that message through to your potential purchases. Um and whether they buy now or they don't buy now, they buy in that building or another future building that we've got, you're leaving an impression. Hmm. So it's all about leaving an impression about the company. This is what we're all about. Somebody might not purchase, but they'll talk to somebody else about how good their experience was. Um, you know, I would love to have bought there, but unfortunately it wasn't for me. We've got another one coming up in North Sydney, for example, next year. Maybe that's the right product but they get to know more about Aqualand prior to that point. Do you think that having developed and developing these, you know, multi-million dollar apartments, it then informs the quality on the, the cheaper product that you create? It does. There's there's a lot of similarities between our high-end and our mid-tier product. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the main di- or the biggest differentiating factor would be location. Um, then obviously there's there's different costs involved for us to develop something that's very high end and something that's mid to high end. Um, but if you look at the actual design language, there's a lot of consistency between the high end and the mid to high um, in regards to efficiency, in regards to what we consider to be smart design, um, and in regards to what feedback we've had from our clients in all markets about what they like, what they don't like. And a lot of that information you get from the client saying, I love my apartment, but I wish you guys had thought of this. I wish you guys had thought of that. Or, you know, you really didn't need that. It's funny you say that. The clients give you everything that you need to know. But if you don't listen, you're never going to get that info. So we're always going out there. I mean, we, and you've probably seen it, I think you may have come to one or two events that we've had, but we sponsor quite a few um, arts initiatives. And then we obviously get our clients constantly coming to these events. But then you have conversations and through those conversations, you get all that feedback, mm. um, you know, and then you're frantically going back to the office in the next day and saying, this is what that client said. And you gather all the information together and that, that information is key. It's king. I've, I've, done, I've had that experience a number of times, walking in the kitchen with a client and then um, one of the clients will say, hey, if you draw open this way and then you turned it like that and we use this material and you're like, good idea. Correct. We'll take that one for later. Right. So um, tell me a little bit more about the sales. Obviously, you got a couple of sales there not too long ago. Um, 
can you talk to the market and premium side of side? Have you seen uh, it, it jump up, come back? What's it been like for you? Um, guys, see the the premium market. I probably see a little bit differently. If if you're in a if you're in a market and you're selling if you're selling a development that's got hundreds of apartments in there, obviously it's going to get impacted. It doesn't matter what market you're in. It's harder to sell a product where you've got hundreds and hundreds of apartments on the market at the same time. Um, Blue Lavender Bay didn't really get impacted by the market. Now, did we skip it? Was it that pocket that wasn't impacted by it? Um, I'm not 100% sure. If you look at the, the surrounding area, if you um, the developments or some of the, the limited developments that were actually selling around us at that time weren't really impacted either. Uh, so I think the market didn't, the, the slower market, didn't impact the entire market. Yep, certainly. For, for, a lot of, for a long time. There's pockets that weren't really impacted at all. There are pockets that I've seen that actually went up in value, but that was because of the limited supply mm. at that time. Um, but generally, and I've, you know, having worked in the past in some high-end products as well, I find that it's not necessarily the value um, that goes down, it's the time that people take to purchase. I see. The value only goes down, if you think about it. In reality, the value goes down based on the impatience of a developer or the requirement for a developer to sell quicker. Supply and demand. So if you need to sell a lot quicker, then you've got to drop your prices. If you don't need to sell quicker, you can maintain your prices, but be patient and those buyers will come in. Makes sense. So, you know, you've seen the same level of inquiry through the, the slump and-, and our, our inquiry was actually quite strong yeah. all the way through. Um, and again, a sign, of, a sign of, and it goes back to what we were saying before. So there are buyers that came in at launch. Um, there are buyers that came in three months ago. I think I've only had one or two purchases that have come through and within a week actually purchase something. It does take a long period of time to purchase something that's that's a high-end product. Yep. Um, but in saying that, again, it goes back to what your strategy is from day one. So if you've if you've pretty much predetermined what you anticipate the market to be, and I'm not saying we nailed exactly what the market was going to be 12 months after we launched, but in terms of being realistic and saying we expect to sell this many within three months and we expect to sell this many within 12 months and then this many within two years. If you're on track with that, then there's no urge to change things. There's no urge to drop your prices. There's no urge to um, do anything dramatic. Makes sense. Um, but you know pretty quickly if you've got it wrong. If you've got it wrong, you've got to make changes. So I think we were lucky enough to have not gotten it wrong, especially with Blue Lavender Bay. Um, and I think we'll be fairly consistent with everything coming up from here on. So we've discussed, um, you know, obviously the premium property, we've spoken about um, investments, um, and we've also discussed a few different interesting things. One I wanted to touch on is, do you see um, buying premium quality apartments or townhouses as a good investment? Yep. And let me preface that just because, I mean, I've got a little bit of bias towards this. Yep. Certainly one measure of a good investment is cash flow. Yep. Another measure is obviously uh, capital growth. Correct. And arguably in residential property, that's the bigger metric you yep. want to be watching. Um, and you mentioned something early, which is quite interesting, which is obviously supply and demand. Yep. So can you comment to people that are looking at spending three, four, ten million million on their resident yep. apartment and how you see it as an investment opportunity? I think, say, so take a step back. Um, this is actually a conversation I was having earlier today. If you look at the properties, and again, I'm talking Aqualand specific now. If you look at some of the properties that we're developing currently under construction, one of the projects that we've got uh, is the Revy mm. at, at Piermont. That's an old naval 
building, a lot of history in that building. Gorgeous. Uh, there's 44 apartments. We basically gutted it, reconverted um, it into some beautiful, large apartments, something that you'll never see down there again. There is actually nothing else down there that you can convert as of heritage uh, significance. Um, they're so unique that if you are going to buy a high-end property as an investment, that's the type of property that you want to buy, something that's unique, something that can't be replicated. In terms of location, you're on the water. You are lit literally surrounded by the water. Mm. Um, it's in that beautiful historic building. Um, and, yeah, it's it's very hard to replicate and there's nothing else like it in that area. You look at Blue Lavender Bay, you've got literally the last piece of um, land or a commercial building that can be converted on the harbour and you're facing this, the harbour in the city. Mm. So I actually think that's better to be on the northern side looking at the city. Looking at the city. Waking up, looking at the city as opposed to living in Circular Quay, for example, and then looking out to the north. It's pretty, but it's not the same, is it? But everything we're doing is quite unique. And if it's unique, it's a good investment. If you're buying somewhere, if somebody's telling you that there's a, you know, extremely high-end product, it's a very expensive product, but it's in a fairly, it's in a good location, but not the best location, but there's going to be 500 of them for example, but they're all coming to market at the same time. Mm. Do you buy one? Would you rush out to buy it? You consider it, but that's when you start to talk about your rental return, your capital growth. Your capital growth is going to improve based on the limited supply of that type of product. Yeah. So, you know, it's not to say that we're always going to do the boutique type developments, but we've been presented with those opportunities. We chased them because we'll consider those to be heirlooms. So do you want to sell it later on down the track? Do you want to increase your equity in that product later on down the track as the value goes up ideally yes but then do you want to sell it and make a profit or would you prefer and again everyone's circumstances are different but wouldn't it be nice to have something that unique and then pass it down to your kids yeah and they can pass it down to their kids something that people love and cherish and they're not not in a hurry to get rid of it and that's the idea so even with the other projects that we're doing and they're not all like i said they're not all uh, boutique or small scale but if you look at something like Barangaroo or even what we've got coming up in uh, Walker Street, North Sydney, they are larger scale. But what can we do to make those unique developments? Something nobody else has done, uh, something that people would actually want to go and invest in, maybe for the same purposes. Not everyone's going to want to keep it as an heirloom. Mm. Um, but for the same purposes, it's unique. And I've actually purchased into that property because there's a limited supply. Well, it's interesting you say that. I spent was talking discussing this earlier. Lisa just came back from uh, New York, yep. and I spent some time living there in the Upper East Side. And what was interesting to me is it's towers everywhere, yep. right? Apartments, apartments, and it's constantly developing. But you can be in a strategic location, an amazing spot, say Upper East Side, and one building will be far more expensive yep. than the other. Yep. They can be next door to each other, but this one here is absolutely gorgeous. Yep because it's been developed by the right person, it's been maintained, and there's something special, unique about yep. it. Whereas this building here is now decrepit, you haven't got that red carpet service, yep. there's no doorman or whatever you're expecting from that area. Correct. And um, it just taught me that one, it comes down to the builder development and actual development yep. itself. But then also it made me put things into perspective because when I went over to the UK, you can see that these larger cities you're not just competing with a domestic market anymore. No, that's right. When you're spending millions of dollars on a property, it's now opened up itself to the international stage. Correct. So it's 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 it, it seems like it's a really good strategy uh, from 
my perspective looking out at looking in at what yeah. you're doing and-, and it's true what you're saying if you look at um on that point i've always said that sydney is competing with the greater asian cities at the end of the day right then it's expanded to competing against cities like london because we're getting buyers that either own property in london or own some, a piece of property in new york and they're looking to buy something within asia sydney is a prime example of what they're looking at at the moment but going back to your point before new york is very much like that and there are other cities that have actually got that as well where you've got one block here which is quite expensive the other block looks like it's great value for money but you're not getting as much from that that was nice great value value for money yeah, yeah. yeah well that's probably yeah but i don't think sydney's there at the moment mm-hmm. i don't think we're mature enough as a market um to be able to say here's one building here's the next building Hmm. Right, this one's a lot greater than this one here and this one's a lot more expensive than that one the market won't really swallow that here not yet not yet not yet well there's a lot that you know for our listeners and viewers that aren't spending five million dollars in an apartment that that you can take from this um you know thank you very much for coming on i really appreciate some really good insights that we've been able to share as a last note is there anything that we should be mindful of that's coming up that you want to sort of shoot out to our yeah. listeners and viewers i guess just going back to my point so yes we are a lot of what we're currently selling at the moment um is the higher end of the market and we keep on talking about the five million dollar product there's three million dollar one million dollar product but we've also got product that's selling for seven fifty eight hundred thousand yep so we do cover pretty much everything but everything that we do cover is in fairly depending on which suburb it's in it's in a great location within that suburb mm-hmm. um, what you're destined to get at the end of the day is the best building in the best location in whatever suburb we're developing in it's pedigree um, yeah and if you look at and I, I think I named some of the um, some of the suburbs that we're going to be developing in that we've got a pipeline in so probably the next one to come up would be North Sydney that's going to be an absolute belting building um, it's probably a good word to use but um, beautiful building um, we haven't we haven't released anything to the market yet it's not something that's coming on this year it'll be next year at some point in time but it will be uh based on what i was saying before it needs to be something that's different and unique but meets what the purchasers want at the same time which is a bit of a challenge but i think we've actually gotten there i can't wait to see it cab off the rank awesome alex larissa thank you guys for coming in thank you